Hello, everyone. Hey, hey, hey. Have you ever, ever wondered, wondered, wondered what it, what it, what it would be like to see the evil man Well, Chris, guess what? People can. April 29th, 2022 at 9 p.m. at Comedy Bar in Toronto. That's right. For the first time ever, Chris Locke, James Hartnett, and Michael Balazzo will be recording an Evil Men podcast episode live on stage in the Comedy Bar main space. Of course, that is at 945 Bloor Street West, Toronto, and you can get tickets at comedybar.ca. Oh! That's Friday, April 29th. At 9 p.m. Evil Men Live! Live! Brought to you by The Bank. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Evil What's up? Uh, you know, just chilling. It's Chris. And I'm James. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we, we I thought you were you introduced us. I now. just didn't know where to go. Uh, I'm sorry. Starting I, it off. I forgot where I, I you know. Rules stumble me up. We're rusty because it's been three weeks since mm-hmm. we since we recorded. And listeners, it's I been. haven't introduced myself yet, but this is Michael, aka Mantis, and uh, we're <laughs> here back again for a, somewhat of a reunion episode. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to be back, but it is true. I stumbled up because I forgot what the rule was because yeah. it's been so long yeah. and my head is dusty. Yeah. The, now the listeners don't know that we missed. We were away because we... They don't know a stored up episodes, but it's true. I went away on a big trip. I went to Argentina. (laughs) I'm back. And uh, And you're looking tanned and fit and rejuvenated. Yeah, you do have a tan to you. Sorry, James. I didn't notice before. Because you were looking also very... Melancholy, very hopeless. Just you know, before you left, and now you oh, look. Full thank of you life. for saying that, Mike. Very nice <laughs> observation. Actually, I don't. I mean, I think I inadvertently ate the carnivore diet down there because it's really hard to get a salad. Oh, I drank a ton of wine and I mm. ate like meat constantly, but I did get a little bit more fit. So, maybe so you are an that. advocate for the carnivore diet, Jordan, Mister Peterson. Yes, you're on to something, buddy. And you have his beard. <laughs> 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 you were crying when you arrived as well, just like yeah, yeah. Professor I think Peterson? that's all part of it. God, we're fighting against God. Because, <laughs> oh, it's a crime against God for being. Were yeah. people in Argentina sort of taking your picture, asking for autographs because they know that you're a Canadian, just like uh, Professor Peterson? I got a yeah. lot of that for sure. You know, he he's like the Beatles down there. <laughs> you're from the best city ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you had a nice time there? I had a great time. Um, and, you know, it, it was a nice for me to go down there because, you know, obviously I'm a comedian and, and now a podcaster. But my real passion, you guys know, the listeners don't, but my, my real passion is Nazi hunting. And mm-hmm. so that's like the best place, you know, one of the best places yeah. to go. And I did, I did get an old German guy with a bow and arrow. So Yeah, and you have a right. crossbow hanging on a nail <laughs> above your bed. I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was it was really neat. And uh, how old was he? He was must have been the quite German old. guy I, I yeah. got with the bow and arrow. Uh, I think I mean he you know he's got to be old, 
So he was yeah. in his like mid eighties. I, I feel someone like, said that's just a, he's just my uncle, but you know. No, I feel like um, age shouldn't come into it in terms of pursuing justice. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Age is nothing but a number. Yep. Especially Would you ever uh, kill a Nazi who's clearly on their deathbed about to go? Would I do that? Yeah. I mean, I definitely uh, wouldn't seek that out. Hmm, you're mincing your words <laughs> and your No, because uh, for me it's all about the thrill of the hunt. Old in yeah. The it's like if you're hunting deer, you know, you you got to camp out, you wait 6 hours, one walks by, boom. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, when I was there, um sorry for that tough question. No, there. it's okay. No, that's what this show is about. The we tough question. We hold James's feet to the fire. Yeah. Or yeah. humanitarians who also hate Nazis. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know what, though? Which is why we're humanitarian, in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of think since the trucker protest, maybe like, oh, now Canada, now people think Canada's stupid. Yeah. Which th- they were definitely. And you but went I to Argentina say, to prove that we're not. That to prove that we're not. I will say, though, you do still get that thing when people are relieved you're Canadian. I think it's a bit of a burn on America. I think they realize you're not American, and then they really? go, oh! And it, that did happen several times, I will say. Wow. Yeah. Well, but then when I but then when you talk to Canada about someone like they do, it does they do seem to be very happy you're Canadian. But then all they really know about it is like, it's frío, no? Like they know it's cold, and that seems yeah. to be the only thing. But they like yeah. that about us. That's the sacrifice we make to have the freedom we have. So you're painting yes. a picture of the of the people of Argentina as sort of uh, simple minded. No, I'm just saying they do, they don't know a lot. Did about you teach them stuff? Canada, it seemed. Like Wait a second. Before we keep going, <laughs> you know what a trend I noticed in the Gigi Allen episode I don't love? Aggressive interrogation of me with very difficult answers to answer in a funny way. I don't know why you two guys think this is a good move for the podcast. Let's interrogate him with questions that are very funny to make joke answers out of and do that for 10 minutes. So maybe, you know, I'm just pointing that out. I'm glad you pointed it out. I never noticed. You d- yes, you know? I have noticed. I didn't notice that you pointed under fun such easy straining pressure. straining your brain. Point taken. Not funny questions. I will endeavor to keep, you know, a check on that okay, going forward. Okay, good. Yeah. Here's one f- interesting. Well, you guys don't do that to me because you know that how sensitive I am. I <laughs> when will cry I set right you away. up, Chris, think about the Nona thing. Yeah. When I set you yeah. up, it's lobs, knowing yeah. you're going to yeah. hit a home run. When you guys set me up, <laughs> it's it's these weird aggressive questions that are impossible. It's to like answer. an ethical question. Yeah, would you c- kill an? Yeah, would I Nazi? kill a guy? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But it's still funny for the listeners. I don't know so. that it is. Yeah. I was just following Mike's lead. Well, yeah. Mike is a mean-spirited person. No, no that's not true. Don't <laughs> and don't come back at me. I'm too sensitive. I will start crying and oh, I'll have to God. write in my diary. It's I'll have to write poetry in the bathtub <laughs> <laughs> to express myself. <laughs> I I did learn one interesting thing there. So they taught you as well. They did. They did. <laughs> um so I did a bike tour and this guy took me to a place that's famous for tango. You know they made tango in Argentina? They yeah. created it? And yeah, they've got that factory. That's where they uh, <laughs> yeah. produce the tango. That just hit me. I'm sorry to cut off your story. Mm. I want to hear the rest of it. Oh, but good. The Gigi Allen one was the one right before you left. Yeah. And this is the one right after you've come back. That's true. I think the trend is only because Mike and I didn't get to go on an awesome trip. Well, yes. what are you literally doing tomorrow? Yeah. But it's not like three weeks in Argentina biking and driving around everywhere. Yeah, but I'm going to be at a resort making sure my children are safe in a giant swimming pool. But shouldn't you guys be happy for me? 
I am happy for you, but also like I'm happy for you, James. Yeah, right. For anybody listening too, we are happy for James, but Very these gray sky, cold gray skies of Toronto, <laughs> they really uh, saturate into your mind and change your mood. It's been a bad mood. winter. It's been yeah. a bad winter. It's been a bad two winters. Yes. I'm always happy and for you and proud of you, my son. <laughs> <laughs> but you were going to say something. I was going to tell this funny story. Yeah, you were biking okay. around. And uh, yeah, so this bike guy was showing me a, a place famous for tango. And apparently he said that like the origins of tango involved like at first women weren't allowed to dance it. It would be men who would dance the tango. Really? And uh, uh, I don't know if this is apocryphal Oh, or the what. dance, the tango for real. I was thinking like they invented the tango in Argentina. And I kept thinking like. Is this like Expedia or <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like a website that helps There's you get cheaper uh, flights and hotel deals. <laughs> it's like kayak. Yeah, or like what's Travago? That's what <laughs> My friend, this is where the website was created. <laughs> yeah, he took me to like their kind of Silicon Valley. So you know they created tango.com. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm sorry. No, the no, dance no. tango. So yes, of first, course. Men Jeez. only men dance the tango. Weird. And he said that in a brothel yeah, the men would be kind of excited and revved up mm. in the waiting room. Yeah, and <laughs> they would kind of deal with their oh my god. They would kind of deal with their horny excitement by tangoing with each other. They invented the tango really? to deflate erections. Or I think it was more like they're so revved they can't help it. And I was thinking, Chris, yeah. imagine you and I are out and about one night, right? Yeah. And maybe we both get saucy texts from our significant others and we know we're going to get lucky tonight, right? Yeah. And imagine you and I on Young Street and we're so excited and horny, we just start tangoing together yeah. on the sidewalk. And I walk or around and I'm like, what the heck are you guys <laughs> doing? <laughs> you, know, you go, some guys are getting lucky yeah. today. Or we're like drinking, all three of us are <laughs> drinking a couple Molson Exports at the Brass Rail. <laughs> <laughs> And then yeah. the girl goes up the pole and does like an upside down splits maneuver. And then the three of us start dancing the tango in front of the stage. And the bouncer's like, we're going to have to ask you to stop doing that. I just thought it's an interesting way to yeah. deal with being horny. I think everything that humankind <laughs> has invented was to dissuade men from... Being horny for a sec. <laughs> it's, yeah, especially the topic of this episode. My God, it's a crazy ass world out there. So the broth, the, uh, the tango comes from the brothel. I wonder how, well, what other dances do you guys think come from the brothel? Do you think Irish step dancing comes from <laughs> river that? dance? The brothel? Yeah. River dance, because yeah. you're, maybe you're um, trying to move around your penis to get it going. <laughs> what about river dance li- literally looks like when you have to pee. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you're like waiting the bathroom. Michael block. Flatley, that guy was a legend for yes. ten years. Yeah, I mean, he was like Michael Jackson of Ireland. Yeah. yeah, even though I think he's American, except for the allegations about children, he was that. Yeah. Oh. that comparison holds up. <laughs> what about uh, what's that dance you do where you you have your hands on your knees and yeah. then you put your knees together? And I think move it's your called hands? the my dad at my birthday party <laughs> dance. <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about, what Mike. It's like put a your hand on your knee. Kind of, it's like yeah. a joke thing. And then 100%. you swap your hands. It, reminds, to the other it must yeah. have come from like the southern states. Oh, Wait, now I don't like I don't how I said I know that dance. No. If it, it means what you're inferring. Oh, oh no. I, all <laughs> I, I think of it the same way you do is a, a joke your dad does at your birthday party. Yeah. And you're like, oh. But the origin mm-hmm. might be interesting. Well, we could take it out if somehow it's a it's wrong. No, no. Oh. I'm saying like 
the origin of that dance could be like men dancing in front of women at bars. Well, to, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's a sexy look. <laughs> yeah. I wonder when women were finally allowed to tango. That's a great question. I wish I asked. Right. Yeah. What's up with you today, Chris? Are you low? I don't know. I'm not on fire, eh? I'm so yeah. sorry. It's okay. Do you have those, I'm going to the Dominican Republic blues? Yeah, it's a very common, it's a very common depression. <laughs> I'm going hungry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't mind stealing bread. <laughs> what the fuck was that song? Is that just what it's about? A hungry guy? I'm, uh, Temple of the Dog, Hunger Strike. Um, it's about Les Mis. <laughs> is that guy stealing the loaf of bread and getting in some trouble I don't for mind it. stealing no. bread from the mouths of decadence is the line, right? Hmm. Maybe it's an argument for higher for tax reform, for taxing billionaires. <laughs> Most of yeah. the Temple of the Dog's material was about <laughs> demanding tax reform or... Yeah. Uh, s- wide system, like systemic changes. <laughs> yes, yes. You know who's crazy? Anybody who was a fan of Pearl Jam the whole time <laughs> and Eddie Vedder solo stuff. Who is that? I remember uh, <laughs> at uh, university sitting next to a guy who was, he was weird. Yeah. And he was jotting all this stuff down. And I was like, kind of looking. And he's like, oh, sorry. I'm just, uh, Jotting down, remember when Pearl Jam put out like 500 live albums? Yes. He was like by yeah. memory writing out the set lists. So this is just to confirm <laughs> your thesis Jesus. that, yeah, maybe they're a little crazy. I mean, I still, look, am I going to lie and say I don't like uh, Evenflow? <laughs> I do. That's the one I like. The I one. Do. Oh, I like later stuff too. I'm is thinking of a guy though, Chris. Yeah. That one? Yeah. Imagine a guy, Chris, in a at an Eddie Vedder live show who's like, I love Eddie Vedder. He's my favorite artist. Then he finds out from someone like, wait, he's also in a band? Pearl Jam? That sounds right. What? Yeah. I'll stick with solo Eddie, actually. That's like someone discovering Mick Jagger in like 1984 <laughs> when he had that one solo album. She's the boss. He, he <laughs> Is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he put out an album in like 2001 too. Yeah. God gave me everything I want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm lucky. These bastards. Yeah. We're going to talk about one of those bastards. Remember that this video episode? of Mick Jagger recently um, in a dance studio warming up and he's like yeah. flitting and fl- flying around like a little dragonfly? <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny because you see the comments beneath it. And first of all, when we're at that age, if we could move like that, be that would be nice. But mm-hmm. also, seeing the comments underneath it where, where it's like, looking good, my man, or like, you look amazing. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I, I actually wonder if he's genuinely having a marionette situation done because he is light yeah. enough to pull that off. And he looks yeah. like he's being held up by wires. Yeah. Just M- a little yeah, comments like, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards never age. <laughs> The Red Hot Chili Peppers are getting there now, too. They definitely <laughs> look 60. And people are like, wow. But it is weird, too. They have no body fat. It's kind of creepy. Hmm. But did we all watch that video where Mick Jagger like did the squat at the end of the stage and he had a bar to lift himself back up? No, I didn't no. see that. Oh, you got to see it. It's so bizarre because the bar is like s- sort of covertly stuck there like it's a, as if it's a part of a stage. Hmm. But why would a... Why would like a like a, a wing of a state a rock concert stage have just like a 
mobility bar all of a sudden. <laughs> but he uses it to pull himself back up at the end of the stage. <laughs> he must break bones every show. <laughs> yeah, he's like Mr. Burns. Yeah, Keith Richards. <laughs> Keith Richards comes on stage right now in an acorn stair lift. <laughs> One for him and one for his guitar. (laughs) (laughs) People have been making jokes about them being old since we were teenagers. And there's like early 90s Saturday Night Live. Okay. 30 years ago. Imagine imagine you see like, yeah, uh, Keith Richards going up on one of those (laughs) mobility chairs. But it's all quiet, except for the crowd going like, ah. But then even they get quiet because it's like, When's the concert going to start? He keeps going up, up, up. Then finally, burning it. Burning it. Lights come up on the drum set. But he's way above the drum set on a chair. Above the dead drummer's replacement. Yeah. And then like a bed folds up like a hospital bed and mix in it with a microphone. If you stop me up. <laughs> He's like got a nurse's beside him, <laughs> giving him jello and stuff. <laughs> Mick Jagger singing Start Me Up in one of those hospital gowns with his bare legs <laughs> and slippers on. I actually would go see them if that's how the concert was. Between songs. Like if they admitted they were like that old. Yeah. <laughs> Between songs, the doctor comes in just to do a few tests. <laughs> Change their diaper. <laughs> during Midnight Rambler, during the solo, they changed Mick Jagger's diaper. <laughs> yeah, they changed his diaper while a movie behind them shows the greatest moments of their early lives. <laughs> oh, now it's a tribute to Brian Jones. We're just gonna we have to do something right now. Yeah, we may as well bring uh, Brian Jones back out here. By the way, things are going for the rest of us. <laughs> They have Brian Jones' skeleton <laughs> on stage with them. <laughs> um, thanks for giving us this uh, birthday cake, Chris. Before we recorded, Chris gave Mike and I big slices of birthday cake. Yes. Yeah. Tea, Delicious. black tea, red rose, cl- Canadian classic oh, red yeah. rose. Shout out to Katie Crown, too, who yep, we know is a it. fellow comedian friend who loves red rose black tea. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and birthday cake from Loblaws, also a very Torontonian... Mm-hmm. Very right. local kind of place to get you, cakes. You had it for your daughter's birthday party, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good it time. was really fun. We had a piñata at the birthday party. Did you take a swing? I didn't because I wanted it uh, to be for the little five- oh, and six-year-old girls. I would have broken it before any kids arrived. <laughs> It'd be funny, funny imagining <laughs> getting too excited about the piñata as an adult. Yes. Yeah, I would have gone nuts on it. <laughs> Before the party started, Mike's probably. reliving all his like <laughs> ancestral hardships in the bat, and whacking the bat against the pinata. What does this pinata represent to you? Mike's like, yeah, it was Eastern a unicorn Europe. too. <laughs> it was a unicorn too, so they beat the shit out of a unicorn, oh, which is weird because okay. it's like oh. I want a unicorn because girls, I mean kids, love unicorns. Yes, but then they beat the crap out of it. But also, it some of them vegetable. had some good swings. Okay. Some good connections. <laughs> but then they kept taking turns, kept taking turns, and these little girls couldn't fully destroy it. Ugh. So what I finally did was I lowered it onto the ground and said, you each get to give it one good kick. <laughs> but they all stormed it and stomped it to death <laughs> until it was a bloody mess with candy coming out of it like guts and blood. 
But and then they're like, Candy! That's, and then a, <laughs> that's yeah. a wonderful girl boss moment. 100%. Right? <laughs> Yeah, when they were when all those girl bosses were destroying the piñata, that's when I knew it wasn't my time to say anything. It was just my time to listen. Was that was almost an hour and I just got to say we haven't connected in a long time because we took a break because of uh, James's trip. And I want to say from me personally James, I don't think I was consciously trying to clown you about your trip or anything. I think it was being rusty at podcasting. No worries. It's I okay. I apologize if it came across as No, no, it's aggro. okay. I, I just, uh, in the um, in the sort of like those kind of, in that line of questioning, I was I found it more under duress than able to make jokes. Well, you have to be a good improviser well, to maneuver I correctly. I actually am. Maybe you also have to be a good improviser with the questions you set up. Can I say something on this I'm theme? just joking. I don't I Chris, didn't even notice it was like that. I'm sorry. Well, maybe I, listen. For my part, I would like to say uh, on this topic that I absolutely did take the opportunity to uh, identify and locate a weakness <laughs> and launch an attack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both okay. Mike and I are playing two different <laughs> types of military strategies here. One is diplomacy, <laughs> and one is honesty, and they're both effective. We hope to confuse you by uh, attacking from both sides with different tactics. I feel like I'm a, yeah. someone at a bar talking to two guys who've read the game. <laughs> <sighs> You're ugly, but the kind of ugly I like. <laughs> Will you make me the happiest man on earth, you big ugly person, and marry me? <laughs> You're dumb. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really... S- oh, God. Beep, beep. <laughs> Guys, before we move on, we should mention that we have a Patreon account. You can find it at patreon.com slash evilmen. Slash. Yeah, exactly. Easy slash and Axel Rose. Who evil are men. our latest patrons. <laughs> yes. Wish. Yes, from Guns N' Roses. Uh, um, and also Velvet, Re- Velvet Revolver, at least. And Slash's Snake Pit. Is that his band? Really? <laughs> Oh my god! What was Izzy Stradlin's band called? He was like in a Seattle punk band or something. Mm. Or no, that was Duff, Duff McKay. Oh yeah, Duff. Let's let's let James do his thing. Okay, sorry. Patreon.com slash Evilmen. Check Welcome it out. Welcome to the jungle. <laughs> Check it out. If you go there, you can sign up for our Patreon. If you do that, you get at least a bonus episode every couple weeks. And these aren't dumb ass farted out bonus episodes they're the real deal and people love them you can write to us on there we we uh, accept uh, topic suggestions on there and we're using them constantly we're using them constantly um yeah. so check it out Ev- uh, patreon.com slash evil men you would help us out and we'd be super grateful and even even if you can't you know you, you can't spare the the money um that's fine maybe you could rate us and review us and tell your friends and if you're a hacker and you know how to hack into a bank's, you know, mainframe and mm-hmm. divert some of the, their money mm-hmm. to our patr- Patreon uh, <laughs> pro- project here. Please feel free to do yeah, that. Yeah, please feel free. Yeah. The bank's security system is going batshit crazy. <laughs> All the lights are blinking on and off. What about, remember the plot thing they did in the Superman movie with Richard Pryor and also an office space where they just round off the pennies into a different account? Yes. Why doesn't someone do that? Yes. For us. For us. Here's my impression of uh, Clint Eastwood. 
You feel like you can spare a penny, punk? <laughs> Him as an aggressive panhandler. I know what you're thinking. Did we release five or six Patreon bonus episodes <laughs> recently? <laughs> well, there's only one way to find out. That's right. Patreon.com slash evil men. Chris! Oh, uh, oh Chris. Oh, the gloves are off, the literally. Chris, Chris just took his gloves off, so we know he's getting down to the nitty gritty. We're outside on my balcony again, and it's chilly. It's cold. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, chilly. April weather. Anyway, Chris, you're leading the show this week. You chose an evil man. Mm-hmm. And, it was uh, based on a suggestion from our Patreon, speaking of. That's right. Okay. That's right. Um, who did you choose? I chose... Out of all the options, which are excellent, we'll probably choose a lot more from them. Thanks, everybody. This time I grabbed out of the hat mm-hmm. with my claw, Hugh Hefner. Uh-huh. Okay. Hef. This one's complicated because I will say this. Men feel shame about being horny for the most part, if you're a decent man. And Hugh Hefner really exploited that Hmm. he's the kind of guy who created a paradise according to a 12 or 13 year old boy (laughs) but if anyone is kind of like a regular decent human being or man uh, a little bit older than that and beyond it felt icky and gross and weird didn't it because it was did you guys on exploiting women yeah but even yeah yeah, but even his just, fan, like, okay, so we definitely have learned a lot more behind the scenes now, which you could probably have guessed, educated guesses without even knowing the, the, the facts, but but also, like, Hugh Hefner acting like that, doesn't that sort of ring some bells, like, for more, m- most moderate people, you know, like, what You the just hell? mean, like... I wear a robe and I have a pipe and I I'm surrounded by beautiful women. Yeah, it is like I a- got the best life ever. I never need love <laughs> or one solid relationship. <laughs> you know, it's like the yeah. kid from the movie Big, like that that mentality's idea of, of like what the perfect life would be. <laughs> it is <laughs> yeah. true. So I did want to preface this with saying, like, I know it's like uh, three men doing this podcast, and we're talking about. Yeah, I'm just going to straight up say it. A pretty much horrendous freak type of man with a crazy brain, gross brain. Uh, you know, I, I know it's complicated because men are, we're, we're gross, we're horny all the time. And it's hard to <laughs> not feel shame about that. Yeah. And also, you, you can't feel shame about it 24-7. Wait, uh, I'm not horny all the time. Are you, Mike? <laughs> Uh, I plead the fifth. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess I'm the only one here who's not horny all the time. Okay. Oh, come on. You just jacked off in the bathroom before coming out here. Yeah, but that's for... You drank your, so your... much wine in Argentina <laughs> that you, you ruined that part of yourself. Yeah, that's just for my own health. That's the, that's what I'm saying about the shame part. It's like, you look at a picture of us, uh, of a nude woman, and you go, wow. Right? <laughs> whatever, right? Yeah, that's... Yeah. And you don't know the story behind it, and unfortunately, Are the you... story behind most of them... <laughs> That we're learning about through through Hugh Hefner, it's it's yeah. weird, gross exploitation and cult like uh, environment. 
So there we go. I guess it is one of those things. That it's not we, a clean intro, but do you get what I, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I guess it is one of those things that, yeah, <laughs> when you're a boy or a young person yeah. and you see the Playboy, Hugh Hefner and the whole Playboy thing, and it's kind of presented in a squeaky clean way as kind of funny and almost cool. You're like, yeah, that is cool. But then when you really think about this old man, uh, God knows what he's doing. And in retrospect, it is very weird. Well, I'll say one thing that's funny that's out of order, but I just say it as a starter. You know how everyone was always like, uh, we were in the grotto yeah, yeah. at the Playboy yeah, Mansion. Yeah, like Andy Dick or Bill Maher. Or People something. didn't really go in the grotto after te- uh, 2011. Do you know why? No. Why? Because it was rich with bacteria and... <laughs> 200 people after a party at the Playboy Mansion got almost deathly sick, (laughs) badly ill from the bacteria. I remember that uh, centerfold when all those sick people were just... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just like rich assholes shooting diarrhea out of their ass. Probably like Anthony Kiedis had had sex in there, maybe? (laughs) I honestly... So I'm sure Anthony Kiedis is 100% questionable in in his he looks past like he but i almost i also feel like he probably didn't even like i feel like he didn't need to go to the playboy mansion it's not uh-huh. to be callous in that sense but i feel like the playboy mansion was a magnet for nerdy men that still had the mentality of that 13 year old boy mm-hmm. like for example doing my research i saw lots of pictures of will smith Interesting <laughs> at the mansion, <laughs> and that was part of uh, an episode of uh, the Fresh Prince ding, as well. Ding, yeah. ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Have you seen Jazz? Um, <laughs> Jazz is very sick. He was in the grotto yesterday. <laughs> we don't know if he's going to make it. You might want to call his family. There's a priest there talking he to him right now, giving him last rites. <laughs> Have you seen Joffrey? <laughs> <laughs> Master William, help! <laughs> um, he's stuck in a whirlpool. So do you see? Do you kind of see what I'm saying? Like, I do. Yes. I feel like, yeah. Before yeah. we get started, this, to summarize, I feel like the Playboy Mansion, from my own personal, like, thing, is like it's definitely made from the 13 year old boy, the horny, pubescent 13 year old boy's brain right. of what Question. a great world uh, would be like, and like also, um, you know, he tried to sell it as classy and yeah. upscale and like, you know, VIP. Bon vivant lifestyle. Bon vivant lifestyle, mm-hmm. VIP, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's really just corny as fuck, but also, as we will learn, evil. So I'll get started. Um, I'll just say some of the basics, but I don't really want to stick with the, the like, pre-Playboy stuff too much because there's a lot to get through. But... Uh, Hugh was born in Chicago in 1926. His family was conservative, Midwestern, and Methodist. Uh, his mother wanted him to become a missionary. Uh, missionary. Okay. Yeah, enter enter missionary really pun yeah, here. Yeah, Who's got the joke. best one? No. Oh, yeah, she wanted him to go missionary. Yeah, she didn't realize he meant... Uh, she didn't realize he was going to do missionary position. For the rest of his goddamn <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. Hats off to James. <laughs> I had to get in there James first. James won the missionary <laughs> fun. Yep. So she didn't want him to be... Uh, here's another take on that joke. Like He grew up in a conservative <laughs> religious family. His mother wanted him to be a doggy style. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't realize he was going to be a doggy style position. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Yeah. So he didn't become a missionary. From 44 to 46, he served as a writer for a military newspaper... 
Then in 49, he graduated from University of Illinois with a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology. Mm-hmm. And I did hear that he did have a high IQ, like 150-something. Huh. So that, you know, he, he he's aware of who he is, the brand he built, and what he was doing. And, uh, you know, my IQ was like... My IQ was like 79, right? So I feel like that's really smart, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that was your IQ. <laughs> 79. That's good. I'm surprised that he has a degree in psychology. That's something that they, they never, the Playboy uh, brand never sort of put for, like to the forefront. <laughs> yeah. No, but they kind of hid it in between Young. the pages, didn't they, Mike? Right. And that, wasn't yes. that the trick? Yeah. Mm. In fact, I would say that the Playboy mansion uh, and the Playboy environment was very, very cult-like, and mm-hmm. Hugh Hefner was actually, like, a fan, like, weirdly obsessed with learning about Charles Manson in the 70s mm. to the point where he had copies of their home, family home videos that uh, they filmed on the farm before the Sharon Tate murders. Weird. So he would watch those in the Playboy Mansion, and... Uh, uh, speaking of like psycho- psychology, like psychologically dominating maybe young impressionable women, there's a lot of similarities to him and Manson, uh, aside from outright telling people to murder. And right. Manson never put you know funny quips and uh, <laughs> articles by Kurt Vonnegut in between his his the pick, the, his women. Yeah. Also, and one I hate it for another sidetrack, but Manson never was known for walking around with a nice. <laughs> monogrammed house coat and a pipe. You know what I mean? That might have done wonders for his reputation and his image. Ladies, how are you this evening? Mind if I speak in tongues? (laughs) I'm thinking about carving a swastika into my forehead. (laughs) Those are one of those things you just can't erase once it's on there. (laughs) Oh, my God. And we haven't done Manson yet. That's insane. Oh, yeah. In 1949, Hugh got married uh-huh. hey, to a woman named Mildred. No, I'm just joking. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just joking. Mildred. Mildred is a great name. Okay. Before the wedding, Mildred confessed that she had an affair while he was away in the army. Hef called the admission the most devastating moment of my life. Mildred allowed Hef to then have sex with other women out of guilt for her own infidelity and in the hope that it would preserve their marriage. But the couple divorced in 1959 after having two children together. So... Mm. most devastating moment of his life wouldn't wanting to be the most ultimate bachelor yeah. kind of be speaking of psychology yeah also can i ask could that be the impetus did he not experience any danger or trauma in world war Two? <laughs> <laughs> i guess not yeah, he was just like i can't believe you slept with that guy yeah but okay so that's do like, this <laughs> that's his like origin story where he's like yeah, like the Joker, insane. but of being cheated on. He carves like he's so upset. He like he's doing push-ups on the floor and he carves a bunny into his chest. He's like, "This will never happen again." I'm never gonna treat women nice. Um, starting up Playboy uh, in '52, Hugh had a job with Esquire magazine as a copywriter, but left after he was denied a five-dollar raise. Oh, I forgot to say also, too, when he was a kid, he drew cartoons all the time. Okay. And so his mom was impressed with that. So he, he kind of would make his own comic books and stuff. Cool. Kind of had magazines on the mind a lot mm. all his life. In 53, Hugh took out a mortgage loan of $600 and raised 8000 from 45 investors to launch Playboy magazine. This included 1000 from his own uh, mother. Mm. Interesting. Here you go, son. <laughs> What's Ooh. this for again? <laughs> Is this for you to go to missionary college? 
How come you keep saying a thousand dollars looks like one penis and three boobs? Uh, Playboy was originally going to be called Stag Party. And what year was it launched again? 53. Wow, okay. Pretty early. But they couldn't use that for copyright reasons. Other names they considered were Top Hat, (laughs) Gentleman, Sir, Satyr, Pan, and Bachelor. Imagine generations of of teens masturbating to something called Top Hat. (laughs) Or Pan. Pan. Can you buy me that Pan magazine? Yeah. You know, the... The magazine named after the Greek <laughs> mythological <laughs> goat, guy? goat man who plays a flute. That's I wanna, actually yeah. sick. Like yeah. to 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 make a magazine like a porn magazine named after that goat bard guy. Like what the hell? It's <laughs> disgusting. Then you just think of the goat man having sex. <laughs> <laughs> like every time you masturbate, Pan is giggling. <laughs> Uh, on the side of the hill, yeah, looking, through, <laughs> looking through your window, your bathroom window at you. But it's part of a thing to like to elevate the like to elevate like elevate smut to like a higher class yeah. society mm. thing of like oh Greek uh, references or yeah. you know the idea of a top hat. Yeah. <laughs> Evening, a ladies. Watch magazine. <laughs> it's just nude ladies. Yeah, doffing your top hat, ladies. Yeah. Caviar. <laughs> <laughs> The first issue of Playboy was published in December 53, and Hefner was unsure if there would be a second. There never would have been a second if it was called Pan. (laughs) It featured a photo of Marilyn Monroe on the cover from a 1949 nude calendar shoot she did under a pseudonym. Uh, That first issue was a hit and sold more than 50,000 copies. Now, I just want to... Oh, yeah? I didn't know the first Playboy issue had those controversial earlier pictures of Marilyn Monroe that she didn't want out there. So That's what that. I was going to start. Was this is the ask. beginning yeah. of the... Ex- like, oh, my God. Same here. So she didn't want that. No, she had taken them when before she became famous. Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Wow. Um, so here's my thing. That's horrible. Every time when I was growing up and I did see a Playboy or knew of a Playboy that a celebrity was in, I just assumed that the celeb was in on it and participated and whatever. But I didn't know how... Like, he started with exploitation. Mm. He bought those photos from the photographer or a company that bought them off the original photographer for $500. Right. And you're right. It was against Marilyn Monroe's wishes. Like, she she did not expect that, did not want those photos out there. Because when she took them, she was poor and just getting her start and needed money Mm. and uh, didn't... You know, she uh, was afraid, and her people were afraid that this was going to like ruin her career. Obviously, and it came it out didn't. when she was a star. That's yeah. horrible. Like yeah. in the height of her being and a star, five hundred dollars. The whole magazine, it it sounds like, cost about nine thousand dollars to get going. So that's a lot. So he really took a gamble. My first edition, he it's went really big. heartless, huh? Like, yeah. like I'm making a huge gamble. Don't care about how the person feels about this, and then it did pay off. Yeah, yeah. She was just trying to get by. And they were used to basically inaugurate the first Playboy while she was famous. Mm. And uh, the weird thing, too, is like he did that with uh, Madonna. He did that with, remember the Vanna White one? I don't know if you guys remember. Like okay. At the height of Vanna White being popular on Wheel of Fortune. Pat Sajak was on the cover of that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this Sorry. was like an ongoing He turned the letters tactic. on her chest, N-O. <laughs> no, it's really sad, too, because Vanna White same situation she right. took some 
nude oh. photos or even maybe not even nude, just saucy photos early in her career in in L.A. trying to get by and feeling insecure about not not wanting to ask her father for money and trying to make her own way and stuff like that. Right. And then, of course, when she was bigger on Wheel of Fortune, he even knew her and I think told her that he wanted to do that. And she said, no, please. And he still did it. Uh, so right. we're just getting into this, but you can tell the ruthless, exploitative behavior yeah. of this very handsome and attractive <laughs> man that women loved. No, obviously he was like a powerful, <laughs> right. weird, gross mm. dink, you mm. know? Yeah. Um, mm. It was really actually, to be honest, like I brought up all that stuff at the beginning as like, you know, horny boy type stuff and shame because... I never really did a deep dive on Playboy. I thought it was corny the older I got, obviously. But it's also, like, ignorant to not do a deep dive on this stuff because he was actually well, creepier than I could ever imagine, mm. you know? And, and also, obviously, that is, like, crazy that he was publishing this stuff against people's wishes. But Playboy itself launching in the early 50s, that's, like, Eisenhower era, where, like, America was, like... Like, and he's, to Beaver... Yeah. yeah, and his family, as you were saying, were very religious. Like America was like very sexually like repressed and puritanical. This must have been such a sensation for this magazine to suddenly yeah, I wonder be like a were, mainstream thing. I wonder uh, if there were magazines publishing nude photos earlier than that. I guess there must have underground been. probably. But they were like, underground. Like he mm, was trying to, yeah, give it mm. some class and literary heft with like the people he had writing for it like yeah and the government was out to get him all the time and they never got him and mm. there was like this really weird situation where like he had a 16 year old girl I, i'm sorry i didn't jot her name down but uh a 16 year old girl as a playmate in like the 50s 57 or something like that and uh so she's clearly underage but her mom was there to sign and give her permission but her mom lied and said she was 18. But then also, why did her mom need to go there and say that yeah. if she's not 18? Yeah. And so then he, they did get in trouble for that. But what ended up happening, I guess he's always had good connections with lawyers. They fandangled it that the 16-year-old girl had to spend two weeks in prison. No way. Yeah. Jesus Christ. And they got off scot-free and... and until they changed the laws, and oh, maybe it was fifty-seven. They changed the laws. I forget, but it, but but they had a couple more underage girls until they changed the laws, where it was like you can't fandangle this anymore. Jesus and that Christ. was it. The one time I know of of him getting arrested and actually going to jail was uh, uh, James. You put this in the notes, but it's for, in sixty-three for promoting the obscene literature. Uh, he got arrested for promoting obscene literature after he published. Uh, nude shots of Jane Mansfield in bed with a man present. So I guess like the technicality they got we're him on We're trying was, to find him. Yeah. All right. So, and yeah. the case went to trial and resulted in a another pun joke uh, set teeing up for you guys. Hung jury. Oh, oh give me a moment. James. Give me a moment. Um, hung jury. Hung, hung, hung. Where could I go with this? Michael. Uh, courtroom? So the courtroom? Uh, yes, I'm um, hanging uh, uh, executions. This, um, um, the, the judge says, like, uh, I, this, I order a mistrial because of a hung jury. Any, uh, does anyone have anything to say about that, jury members? Yes. That's and he turns to the jury, yeah. and then the, the jury and says. And then the jury goes, Your Honor, um, yes, we're hung. We're a jury. We're, we're a jury. We're definitely hung. By the way. Your Honor. No, yeah. no wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so was that guy. 
in the picture. <laughs> Pretty good, right? Very good. <laughs> Sorry. The Chris. judge said, what do you mean you're a hung jury? This isn't the... I think you're thinking of the, the Playgirl case <laughs> down the hall. Yes. And then the, the security guard for the court turns to the camera and just goes, why do I bother? <laughs> and it's Bull Shannon from Night yeah. Court. <laughs> oh, he was great. Beep, beep. Beep, beep. <laughs> Can I ask, when Playboy first launched, what was the climate like? Was he, Were you even allowed to sell a magazine with nude pictures in America at the time? Or was that, was that like... What was it the- was post-war, obviously. It was very uptight and conservative. It was the Cold War. It was McCarthyism. Uh, you could I show didn't any read a lot about that. Communists. I read more about the controversies, controversies. But I did hear in passing, like in some of the... Uh, docs I watched and articles I read yeah it was shocking and right. people were trying to fight him in uptight square uh, uh, you know middle midwest like southern yeah everybody was kind of like right, the uptight right. religious Americans were against it one way that he kind of fandangled and this might go back to his psychology degree and his IQ <laughs> was as you know he he could levitate. <laughs> like David Blaine. <laughs> he could shoot lasers from his eyes. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the X-Man. <laughs> oh, here comes the feds. He was just flat out scary. No, the political aspect of, you know, looking progressive, right? He did like, mm-hmm. uh, he was a champion. He fashioned himself as a champion of freedom of sexuality, freedom of speech right. in a repressive post-war era, right? So, there, of course, there's a lot of people who would back him on that. And then, of course, he started stuffing his his magazine with, like, actually really great articles, written articles by great authors, great philo- philosophy content, psychology nice. content. Um, yeah, like some of the list of authors who had written pieces in the magazine was like crazy it was like uh yeah i have that list here there's some where it was like oh arthur c clark ian fleming nabokov saul bellow chuck palinuk pg wodehouse roald Dahl, haruki murakami margaret atwood which would be like such a huge get for them they could probably hold that up all the time yeah yeah like, exactly oh, like, yeah but margaret atwood. atwood yeah roald Dahl, james and the giant dick <laughs> James and the Giant, ahem, peach. <laughs> yeah, I also read that um, Fahrenheit 451 uh, yeah. was serialized in Playboy magazine. Oh, shit. Hey. I love that yeah. book. Yeah. I wonder, I'm just imagining Ray Bradbury hanging out at the Playboy <laughs> mansion and like, everyone's saying, like, did you have to, like, um, could we lose this guy? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, interesting. Uh, your, your, your thoughts on censorship are very interesting, Ray. I'm going to go to the bathroom, but uh, I'll be back. Yeah. Uh. yeah, Ray Bradbury's like, they don't have girls like this on Mars. <laughs> uh, I've, been, I've been studying the wrong planet. <laughs> Who would have thought that uh, this episode would be dragging Ray Bradbury? <laughs> no, that's the thing about evil men. We aren't afraid to, you know, sling stones at giants. <laughs> so. <laughs> so Playboy has all these 
big name, high class writers. Uh, yeah, to, in the '60s, they pass out the joint. They added the Playboy philosophy column. They had early topics which included LGBTQ rights, women's rights, censorship, and the First Amendment. Uh, it was an early proponent of cannabis reform. It seemed like Hefner did some did have some progressive politics. In Esqu- in Esquire, rejected the, the science fiction story called The Crooked Man about a world where homosexuality was the norm and straight men were, were prosecuted. And Hefner published that in Playboy. After receiving many angry le- letters, Hefner said, if it was wrong to persecute heterosexuals in a homosexual society, then the reverse was wrong too. Now, I just want to say my personal opinion here. I actually do believe that Hugh Hefner did probably have progressive views and very liberal views. But at the end of the day... He he was the guy that, while framing, you know, women owning their sexuality, women owning their n- beautiful nude bodies, which still happens to this day, it turns into an argument for it's a, it's a version of feminism. He, he with that progressive hook, that's how he kind of got you. You know what I mean? I know because there's a weird thing where can, there's a conservatism of like, how dare you do anything other than you know go to church, which rebelling against that and, and yeah. being open-minded yeah. you know it is good repressed but, christians don't want sex to exist exactly so and he's uh, saying like no come on women should be free to be who they want right. sexually and sex should be free and you should be able to do anything you want yeah. but naked except you have to be in the compound by yeah, exactly, 9 p.m exactly. you can't date another man and i have seven <laughs> girlfriends yeah, and i'm and i'm 90 yeah, and I'm 90, and it's not going to get hard, but you have to play in front of me <laughs> and, every night. And, yes, and that's some, not an exaggeration. That's true. true. Sometimes yeah. I have an accident on the heart-shaped bed because I'm so very old, and that's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, if shit starts running out of my <laughs> saggy butt cheeks, use it. Go with it. <laughs> These are my beliefs. <laughs> They're very progressive. My progressive beliefs are if shit shows up, go with it. Roll with it. <laughs> I'm an old bastard. So well, can we post a sci-fi story about someone shitting their pants and that's okay? <laughs> so I his like, views were like mm. very conveniently like personally, like they were progressive, but also personally convenient to suit him specifically. Yes. Which like, is what cult yeah. leaders do, right? Yeah. They make you feel like you've found your family, you've found your personal freedom, you're not in a repressed like Midwestern Bible belty type of place. Whatever, and uh, and you're free finally, but you gotta listen to new daddy, basically. Yeah, yeah. and he took advantage of that big time. Yeah, uh, another progressive thing he did that I think is kind of interesting, though, is it's during the civil rights movement in '66, Hefner sent a reporter named Alex Haley to uh, interview American Nazi oh. Party founder George Lincoln Rockwell. Oh God. This shocked Rockwell because Haley was black. Obviously, most people listening probably know who Alex Haley is. Rockwell agreed to meet with Haley only after gaining assurance that he was not Jewish. Although Rockwell kept a handgun on the table through the interview. Jesus. And that interview was recreated in Roots, The Next Generations, with James Earl Jones and Marlon Brando. That is a wild <laughs> we gotta find that combo. Yeah. I really want to see that. Wow. But yeah. And he also wrote, helped write... The Malcolm X autobiography, I think, Alex Haley. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Wow, that yeah. is a wild story. But the 70s <laughs> is when the feminist movement started to go hard uh, and uh, decide, uh, decried his uh, objectification of women. 
Um, and but Hafner would say mil- they'd call him militant feminist and unalterably opposed to the romantic boy-girl society that Playboy <laughs> promotes. And so he he did have to fight the mili- militant feminists as he called them. Another thing that I forgot to put in here, but I'll I'll just say off of my memory is before that in the 60s the glorious Steinem herself right did you know this james nope uh was trying to like hang around and get the story on the scoop on playboy and ended up uh waiting around so long that like she got a job as a playboy bunny at the i think this was i think the he moved to the mansion something? in the 70s so this was in chicago yep. in the in the building there and she was a fucking playboy bunny for like a month doing like a deep like embedded an investigative so yeah. journalist, like an undercover, yeah, a hundred percent. And she was like, the the tie, like the suit, the bunny suit, like hurt. It was so tight that men would obviously have cleavage wearing it. Like it cut them basically. <laughs> she had to go see a foot doctor because her feet were so swollen because of the three inch heel shoes she had to wear serving. And uh, yeah, I really want to find that. I, I hate that I didn't get to read that article before we recorded it because it sounds incredible, but. Yeah, she's just talking about the humiliate. Like her doctor said, you have to buy shoes two sizes up just to like save your feet from this job. Ah. And also the women, the bunnies did everything. It was like super highly organized and strict. And they they bought and maintained their own bunny costumes with their own dollar. And uh, yeah, they were really demeaned and humiliated. Like they had to do this like... You can see it on the video. They had to do this backward sort of reach to the table and like do a bunny squat down to put the drink on the table. And uh, yeah, she said during her whole time there, there was maybe 10 people, including men and some women, who treated her like a human being. Wow. Otherwise, they were just like pieces of meat walking around, you know, being joked about and not even looked at and... and, and, uh, in that sense, it actually gets way worse as we investigate. But yeah, the Gloria Steinem article, I really want to wow. check it out. And so it got the criticism that she sort of maybe started, reached a more fever pitch sort of um, in the 70s when people were criticizing Playboy for being misogynist, basically. Yeah, that was, you know, the height of like the second wave of feminism is when they all went hard um and took a hit and and you know we grew up like knowing the playboy brand and everything but i feel like being a little kid in the 80s and a teen in the 90s and stuff like i feel like it was evident to me even at an early age kind of like what i was saying at the beginning that playboy is corny it, mm-hmm. it's, it's at least corny and like as a human you feel for the women like you can tell like damn it's obviously as a young boy it's nice to see boobies <laughs> nice to see a nice butt we just clipped that and put that in the <laughs> promo <laughs> but it is true i'm trying to be honest here there's you're you're not not aware that the woman probably has to do that for money because she doesn't have any and she's being exploited and it's so fucking weird right but it lasted so long and uh, it was it was still I, I do remember like because you'd see them every now and then abandoned in like a park or like at someone's house. Uh, it still had into like the 80s, like this 50s, 
yeah, like aura around it, like fifties aesthetic that was out yeah. of time. Like, Don't forget seeing it at like a gentleman's barber shop too. Yeah. <laughs> like shave and a haircut. I saw it in an outhouse this past summer. There you go. Right. Yeah, one. But the weird thing is it's like <laughs> being, you know, a huge fan of acting and actors and stuff too, like writing, like literature. Some of my best interview or my favorite interviews. You know, like Jack Nicholson or even like Groucho Marx or something or whatever, whoever. John Lennon and... Oh, no, that was Rolling Stone. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they had great articles. Like, that was well, his trick. Remember when we were talking about the Adam Curtis documentary and the origins of the Illuminati conspiracy? How it was from an, a satirical ar- article where yeah. a guy blamed the Illuminati for everything, be- meaning being sarcastic because of course they're not behind all the problems and yeah. people took it seriously that was in Playboy magazine I believe yeah right it's, it's pretty interesting yeah they, they clearly yeah. had a robust like uh, you know the like, read it for the articles joke but, but clearly that's it the was thing. a thing was, think of that as stuff. the trick okay so think of Hugh Hefner's IQ think of his degree in psychology or whatever the hell I don't know you don't even have to do that but like the joke that like oh I read Playboy for the articles ha 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 that is a pretty mean <laughs> trick where you put those articles in there, but you know men just want to J.O. Especially for inter- intellectuals like us where we're craving these articles. I know, and then it's so embarrassing. Yeah. I know, but the thing is, is you're, you're putting, like, you're exploiting women as, like, animals, as, like, pieces of meat alongside intellectually challenging mm. or, you know, just interesting articles in a way you're using the intellectual aspect of it to justify the dehumanization of these women i know exactly what you mean it's not like it's all trash and you can go well this is all trash the writing's trash the pictures it's like yeah oh i'm intellectually stimulated well maybe this is part of the yeah oh i understood what this article meant i'm a genius and therefore uh, Jay owing to a, a babe is a, a genius I'm move, doing it in a, smart a genius way. stroke, so to speak. <laughs> Did anyone ever get yeah. confused reading it and, and forget what was what and accidentally start <laughs> jerking off to a Nabokov story? <laughs> yeah. What the heck? I'm jerking off to Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I've lost what my way. <laughs> I'm reading this picture of a naked woman and jerking off to a sci-fi story. <laughs> yeah. Omni tries competing by putting centerfolds of robot, nude robot <laughs> ladies. <laughs> we got to get that Arthur C. Clarke fan base back over Omni. <laughs> but this, was, was but this you see what I'm saying? Another like, thing too. I do. If you put I the do. women up there like that as like meat, trophy, yeah. whatever, alongside the articles of like Kurt Vonnegut or Arthur C. Clarke or whatever, or like, you know, stimulating political discussions... Was Hunter Thompson published in there? Probably, so. right? Gotta you feel, it feels like he was. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like No, I, th- I think you're making a really good point. I, I completely... Also, uh, what's the word? It's normalizing saying. it. Yes. It's normalizing right. the degradation of yeah. women mm-hmm. as an intellectual sport, basically. I think you're right. Right. Good point. I remember my friend's grandfather... You don't think it's a good point, Mike? I think it's a great point. <laughs> I remember like my friend's grandfather was kind of like, I think, a cad like from that generation. Uh-huh. And uh, we were moving his stuff out after he passed away, and he had some Playboys and stuff. But he also had, like, a book that was, like, basically a guide on how to maintain having a mistress. Oh, And it really is that generation. You're buying that at Indigo? (laughs) (laughs) It was clearly an old book, but it's like, you know what I mean? It's that generation. 
Well, yeah, there's well the, the sort of Mad Men. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. That's the height gross. of Playboy. I think is like Mad Men. Well, was yeah. this like era? Because like Playboy was like an aspirational thing as well. After like World War Two, it was like you know not cocktails. You know, uh, f- like free love we or got whatever. Hitler. Let's get a boner. Well, it's like you know after that. Free love, having a jacuzzi, uh, <laughs> having a, a bar in your house, you know, yeah. all, jazz records. Jello for some reason. But yeah, but like it was like, oh, if you're not into this, you're like, you're a party pooper. But it was like probably only fun if you were a man. Mm. Like, the whole 60s hippie you know. generation did that. Yeah. The free love movement was like a trick. If you're a man, it's great. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. The whole free love movement still ultimately benefited men. But it was like a, like we're groovy, we're all having fun. This yeah. is like the lifestyle that we should all aspire to. Don't be a uh, wet blanket, babe. <laughs> I remember there was yeah. a Mad Men when the bl- gray-haired dude came over to Don Draper's and like yeah. hit on his wife, and then the next day at the office he was like, <laughs> "Sorry about that," you know. It's like whatever. Yeah, yeah. it does. It did this objectification. I'm sorry about that, Don. Chicks get me going. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of, it's not, yeah, so let's get into the real stuff. We've said some stuff that already, like, questionable about this guy, but it gets crazier. Let's get into the zone. Hefner threatened a lawsuit against journalist Suzanne Moore for calling Hefner a pimp in The Guardian. Moore (laughs) argued that he was a man who bought and sold women to other men. She further stated that part of Hefner's business acumen was to make the selling of female flesh respectable and hip. To make soft porn acceptable. That's kind of, I guess, yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And this Julie Bindle, uh, this is kind of what I was trying to get at too, argued in The Independent that Hefner caused immeasur- immeasurable damage by turning porn and therefore the buying and selling of women's bodies into a legitimate business. Uh, Robin Abkarian wrote in the Los Angeles Times that Hefner probably did more to mainstream the exploitation of women's bodies than any other figure in American history adding that he managed to convince many women that taking off their clothes for men's pleasure was not just empowering, but a worthy goal in itself. So there you go. That's kind of what I mean. It's not mm-hmm. just like men justifying it in their head, but he's getting women to think like... like it's liberating. Yeah, it's liberating. This. It's yeah. I'm part of high society. Right. Like, it's bizarre. If you do this, you'll get your own uh, jacuzzi. <laughs> <laughs> jacuzzi. <laughs> jacuzzi bahama come on pretty mama jacuzzi <laughs> never mind oh god i want to remember the the disease that was it legionnaire's disease yes that's it the bacteria <laughs> in the grotto gave like 200 people basically <laughs> like the they've been stabbed legionnaire's disease oh my god <laughs> oh god oh. fuck but i'll get to that more because the funny thing is is when he moved to in the 70s to the playboy mansion a lot of the complaints from the playmates that live there and everybody that lived there was the absolute filth. Really? And disgustingness of it. <laughs> it was like full of junk, never clean. Ew. The women lived in rooms with like pink bed sheets and white carpet that were never changed ever. So it sounds cute at first, right? But then it's just like <laughs> the dirt of years is on oh, everything. Gosh. And one of the playmates I heard one time... Maybe, like, a lot of this came from... I watched a docu- uh, a documentary, like, a video made on YouTube by this guy who was, like, a huge fan of the show The Girls Next Door, mm-hmm. um, but now has changed his mind after hearing, like, reading all their books and hearing their testimonies. 
and he hates Hugh Hefner now. And it was a really good one. I'll uh, shout it out at the end. You just imagine it all but smells like a chlorine pool. And some of them had a dogs that would like not house trained. So they'd be like walking around the house. There'd be dog shit and piss on the fucking <laughs> floors. Ray Bradbury walking in the hall, just <laughs> slipping on a dog turd. <laughs> yeah. Help. An alien got me. Oh. <laughs> you, you, my back. You, <laughs> uh, Paige Young, an artist and uh, 1968 Playboy centerfold. Uh, she shot herself in her West Hollywood apartment in April 74, and she was found lying on a blood-soaked American flag beneath a mural that read, Hugh Hefner is the devil. Ooh, well, that's so, not a good sign. I don't know, that's but happening. that's just a little anecdote about one of the playmates. Mm-hmm. Um, Hugh Hefner's former girlfriend, Holly Madison, she's the one that's talking a lot on that new documentary, Secrets of On a right? Yeah, the A&E yep, documentary. Right. Uh, she said that he would encourage competition and body image issues between his multiple live-in girlfriends. Like, I heard that she would basically say, like, he, she, uh, I don't know if it's her, but one of them would be like, I feel fat. And he'd be like, well, you, I feel insecure. And he'd be like, well, you do look bigger. Like, he basically talked to his girls like that all the mm. time. Um, yeah, so that's, if you want to know, there's a 10-part, January this year, a 10-part television documentary series, Secrets of Playboy, came out on A&E. And on the show, multiple former females employees make claims of sexual misconduct and drug use at the Playboy Mansion. Right. According to Mickey Garcia, former director of Playmate Promotions, it was cult-like. The women had been groomed and led to believe they were part of this family. He uh, really did believe he owned these women. They were playmates who overdosed. There were playmates who uh, committed suicide. One of the most disturbing accounts comes from Sandra Theodore, a former model and actress who dated Hefner in the late 70s and 80s. She described how his sexual demands turned nasty and admits he scared me at the end. You couldn't satisfy him. He wanted more and more. The group sex was at least five nights a week. They had a protocol. He liked to direct, and you didn't seg away from it because you could tell it irritated him, she added. Theodore said Hefner was a prolific drug user, sending her out to buy cocaine numerous times, and the sex broke me like you'd break a horse. She also said, and this is the one that, oh, this creeps me out too. I watched girl after girl show up, fresh-faced, adorable, and their beauty was just washed away. We were nothing to him. He was like a vampire. He sucked the life out of these girls for decades. So, yeah, now that he's been dead since 2017, like, a lot of women are releasing books and Mm. this documentary. So, a lot of the cult-like aspects of the Playboy Mansion are really coming out, and it's fucking scary. But before, Okay, yeah. Uh, before that, like he did, he actually have a, impose a curfew on these women and tell them yeah. not that like they couldn't see anybody else. Yeah, they couldn't was, leave. I was joking, but it's actually not a joke. They had to be in the gates by nine p.m. And I, <laughs> I heard that one of the playmates remarked, like, I used to think those big gates at the end of the driveway for, were for keeping people out from Playboy Mansion or whatever, but she later felt like it was to keep them in. Right. Oof. You it actually now that you're saying all this, it's like of course that's true. And then it's fucking crazy that he guest starred on all these TV shows and was this like oh he's harmless. That's what I'm saying. I, I can't believe we all well maybe not all of us, but as a as a culture or whatever, we were like yeah it's like kind of funny. 
He's, That's um, what I'm saying. Doing course, this research actually changed it, me yeah. mentally about some stuff. Like, no oh one my is, God. Yeah, no one in a smoking jacket could be mean. <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah, he. I mean, that's part of his clever thing. He designed himself as this, like you said, bon savant character, mm-hmm. and you're like, and then boys oh, look up to him. So then boys <laughs> like get older and realize that it's actually creepy and weird. But you almost don't want to disappoint the boy inside you from the past. Mm-hmm. You're like, hey, you know, if I was rich and successful, I'd like to have a loose party, <laughs> right? But it's like, no, you're not thinking straight, like. So he never actually married after his first marriage ended in uh, I think, betrayal. I think he did have he one did, marriage to like, a you know, playmate yeah. and she like on his deathbed or something. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was like in the eighties, <laughs> nineties. Yeah. yeah, but, but like he would always have like age gap. Oh probably. yeah, she was like forty years younger. Right. Yeah, and he would always have <laughs> like seven girlfriends at a time, and they weren't allowed to see other people. Yeah. And, and I read that he had, there was a thing where it's like his what was it like his. Number one girlfriend, like he had his like number one girlfriend, number two yeah. girlfriend, like and they were so vined and insane. the competition between them two. I heard, yeah, they're vying to be the number one, and so they would be shit talking each other mm. because of the competition and the insecurity. They'd be shit talking each other, having orgies together. So like one playmate was like, imagine what it would be like having sex with somebody, and then you know other people are, that hate you are watching you. Right. Mm. You know, so he's like a mo- he was like a modern day sultan with all these wives and his mm-hmm. harem. Yeah. Uh, in was the Playboy Mansion in L.A.? Yeah, it was moved. Yeah. There. No, it was actually, believe it or not, in Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was in Tonawanda. <laughs> yeah, nice. if he didn't die, he was thinking of <laughs> some sweet property because he heard Hamilton was cheap. <laughs> yeah. Imagine yeah. Canada had like a. Playboy Mansion in Hamilton. Playboy North, eh? <laughs> yeah. Right next to the brewery. Subscription free tickets to the Hamilton Tiger Cats game. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best CFL teams, at least. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. But th- I'm going off memory again. But the Hollywood Reporter, the, the, the writer wrote a really good piece on, like, just after he passed away, about how sad and lonely he was. You? And how sad the house yeah. was. Like his room like, was littered it, with garbage. <laughs> it's true. It was a fucking it, like, nightmarishly be, dirty shithole. So he was like Bart Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> Bart, clean up your room. Don't have a cow. Um, <laughs> yeah, with a pipe in his mouth. <laughs> don't have a cow, man. I don't clean my room, man. My shit stained shorts because I'm 90 years old. The water's but, filthy, dude. <laughs> but you would have to be an obviously an idiot if you haven't put it together that not having a real meaningful relationship yeah. with anyone your entire life isn't fulfilling. There's I a reason I'll, people get married and or or whatever, become partners with people and like you can't your whole life if your whole life is purely about boobs. Like it's not a fulfilling <laughs> it's life. It's so insane. Of, like, what is wrong? I mean, yeah. this guy needed 12 rules for life more than anyone. <laughs> Clean your room, number one. Get married. Yeah. Uh, you know, stand up straight, because he seemed to be kind of a hunched over yeah. type of fellow. Yeah, yeah. Get, take your robe off. Put on a shirt. Yes. It's so insane. And imagine that that whole life and fantasy and lifestyle was created just from spiraling out of anger from being cheated on by your first wife. It does get darker, guys. Lisa Loving Barrett, Hefner's executive assistant during the late 70s and 80s, said that Hefner had a stockpile of quaaludes, the powerful sedative which Bill Cosby's accusers claimed he drugged them with. 
Now, also, if you go back to 70s photos of Hugh Hefner and Playboy Mansion and stuff like that, Bill Cosby's there all the time. Mm. Right. Bill Cosby probably got the justification in his mind to be the man who he was from Playboy Mansion. I at least hope Bill Cosby got Legionnaire's disease. (laughs) I hope so, too. Or he saw some dog shit. (laughs) The Quaaluders... This is the harsh part, and and we should put a trigger warning maybe at the beginning of this episode. Uh, Hefner said they were a necessary evil that got women to do anything. Okay? Okay. Uh, Do you fucking hear what I'm saying? It says it all. It says it all. This is basically now we're reading... The origin story of the evil villain that is Bill Cosby. Yeah. Right. And who knows who else, including mm. Efner himself. Mm-hmm. Like, all these fucking dicks that went to this place and were like, right. shut up, woman. Take yeah. this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Ease up and get loose, like what we were saying. It's, it's free love, baby. Like, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. Uh, so Hefner would have his own prescription as would Barrett and others who worked in the mansion. And Hefner would collect them all and keep them all in a drawer in his bedroom, ready to give to women who he brought there. Barrett claimed that Hefner would take small amounts of the ephedamine dexedrine every day to keep himself alert. Cocaine was also a big deal in the house, and there was a powder room off the Great Hall where underneath an ornate toilet paper holder, there was a pile of cocaine. Uh, The drug was so widely available... (laughs) That one of Hefner's... Imagine, imagine, by the way, sorry, you like go poo in the toilet and you're like, oh God, where's the toilet paper? And then you just rub cocaine accidentally on your ass. Yeah. And you're like, why can't my ass stop talking? <laughs> sorry. My ass keeps saying he wants to collaborate with me on all sorts of big projects. What's going on? Fuck. Well, at least that part's funny to get us out of that dark tunnel. Yeah. But there's a lot. It's pretty yeah. fucking disgusting. But I have to say that the drug was so widely available... Hefner's poodles, one of them, became addicted to it and would lick it <laughs> off the floor. <laughs> Can you imagine having to walking around at this place with a cocaine addicted <laughs> poodle being like <laughs> to the floors of your shitty mansion? Yeah, it reminds me of a house in my neighborhood growing up where you where you like the kid was really cool, but when you when you went in his house, you're like, holy uh. fuck. This is a mess. Because this will make it three in three times. Three times is a um, is a charm. Uh, shit! Someone get Ray Bradbury off the roof. He's high <laughs> on cocaine. and won't won't get down. He's out of his mind. Someone get the poodle off off of Ray Bradbury. He's on cocaine. <laughs> and he's. I wouldn't mind making maybe like watching a film that's under Ray Bradbury and a. A drug-addled Ray Bradbury and Poodle on an adventure, <laughs> like through outer space or something. Life of Pi too. Yeah, it's like maybe Rick this planet Morty. has cocaine. <laughs> Instead of Rick and Morty, Ray Bradbury and dog. <laughs> Poodle. <clears throat> um, so this is dark too. The drugs helped fuel this horrifying pig night, which happened every Thursday, according to Stefan Tettenbaum, Hefner's valet between seventy-eight and eighty-one. Uh, now what pig nights was, was Hefner would instruct two pimps to bring half a dozen women each to the mansion from Sunset Strip, which at the time was notorious for prostitution. Hefner thought the women were, you know, pigs in his fucking, uh, view and ordered his VIP male friends not to call them that, the film claims. 
Uh, yeah, I got this from a quote from the documentary. A doctor would first examine the women for any diseases or infections before they could have Jesus sex with Christ. the guests. Nice, right? This is like... It's so cold and methodical and obviously wrong and uh, mean, but to ha- like have this whole infrastructure of like sending people out and having a doctor on hand yeah, uh, to do this, just like, it's like this factory of... It's so filth. heartless that yeah. it's actually insane. It's yeah. actually... You're, I feel like that's how we should sum up this whole episode. So heartless that it's actually insane. And Tettenbaum, who I mentioned... Uh, This is in the documentary. These are quotes from the documentary. Sometimes he had a special woman who would come up. She was called the bleeder. She would use a very large syringe and draw blood from these different friends. And a girl would come and perform fellatio or give them an HJ. I'm saying HJ. And the documentary also claims that for some reason, John Belushi, a regular guest at the mansion, loved this and it would turn him on. Wait. What going on with the blood? I know. I still can't figure it out. I think one of the prostitutes had a nickname called the Bleeder, and she would take out blood from a guest into a needle. I guess that was like her party trick. And then those men would be getting satisfied from another woman while blood was getting taken out. And John Belushi was a fan of that. I'm this just getting this, this from the documentary. This doesn't seem like something John Belushi would be into. Am I wrong here, guys? This seems wildly out of character from what we know about him. I have uh, no Not exactly clue. Netflix and chill. Why are the Jesus most lovely? Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, it's A&E and uh, Thrill. Yeah, fucking hell. Hmm. A&E and Puke. I think I don't like John Belushi now. <laughs> yeah, well, huh. God almighty. Uh. Yeah, so there's tons of way more heinous stories about the goings-on at the Playboy Mansion that maybe we won't say to spare the listeners. But if you do your own investigation, deep dive, uh, yeah, nothing really good comes up. So maybe we should wrap it up, actually. I don't want to read any more, but yeah, so I, I, I have a lot of stuff by memory. And he died at the age of 91 yeah, he had in a, 2017. Yeah, and all those drugs, all that fornicating, and you know, even drugs to stay try and keep a heart on like oh. now didn't he still got a 91 justice yeah uh, well and, yeah and he sort of died with that because he was so old he just became sort of a figure of like oh he's an old guy with all these babes isn't that funny where the real story was uh, uh significantly darker yes yeah <sighs> young it was always young women night 18 19 20 They'd show up thinking that, you know, it's going to help them get in the biz, make them famous. Mm-hmm. They, they live there. They serve him. He's got strict, strict rules that they have to follow. They have to have orgies together. They have to, he, once he, he has to have sex with you, then his friends get to have sex with you. That's the way it was. And you couldn't complain mm. or you were gone. And even those rules I said about like the curfew and the dating and if you broke the rule, you got an email basically saying, you know, you broke a rule. And then if it continued, it's like you're kicked out of the mansion. So how is that not a fucking sex cult? Yeah. It's the most popular, successful, rich, disgusting sex cult in the history of the United States. Did he at least get to live to see Playboy kind of... uh, 
it still exists, but he got to see it its prominence like decline almost to the state of a like it's it, a, it was a rev- it must have in the last twenty years it must have gone down the two yeah with the yeah, internet imagine. probably because I mean like look and at magazines. look at porn on the internet now yeah, yeah. it's insane in yeah um, but also but Playboy now because it's still being run by his family and stuff they say you know we're not Hughes. Playboy yeah, anymore. Yeah, they've distanced themselves. Yeah, you. they've distanced it. They're like, we res- <laughs> we listen to women, we respect them, yeah. and you know they they claim to operate on the wishes of the the women. But the fact that he would take people's photos, celebs' photos, publish them without their permission, yeah, and he did that with anybody, not just celebs, and uh, not great. Yeah, but there are still some Playboy playmates that. Look back on it highly. Uh, they they act like they're they're not traumatized by it at all. It was a good p- time, but I don't know. I guess it's a n- somewhat nuanced thing where maybe I, I guess there are people who f- it was maybe a maybe it was a fine experience, but clearly for many it was ho- yeah. hell. So I don't know. yeah, like they basically had rules. Where it's like you had to look happy in any photographs and i mean like candid photographs of parties and stuff too it's like if you looked sad you got in trouble basically so you had to you it's a fucking cult you had to like keep up the image that hugh made you keep up Mm. of like Mm. this eh, gentleman's uh esteemed Mm. like vip party club like me and my fucked up friends yeah yeah bill fucking cosby yeah well, uh, you've got that certain glint in your eye, James. I know God. you're thinking of a certain piece of technology. <laughs> I am. I am. It's not an iPod. Did I make this one too dark, guys? I'm sorry. I actually think you did a great job. You uh, expressed um, a difficult uh, sentiment to, to, to express well. I thought you did a great job. Well, I'm 100% changed man from doing this research because clearly, like, being a man, like I said, this is why I tried to give that that sort of preface off the top. It's mm-hmm. like being a man... You know that, of course, that 13-year-old boy and you never leaves. You kind of like, uh, boobies or whatever. I mean, I'm not talking about heterosexual man, obviously. Uh, so you kind of want to avoid doing that research. Cause it, I hear you. It weirdly like, hurts you to know that this evil was connected to something that gave mm. you pleasure or taught you something. Right. But, you, but doing the deep dive, it's like, no, fuck this shit. It's mm. very bad. Well, it's, it's life changing. Fi- that opinion isn't official until we enter it into the evilometer. So <laughs> let me just pull that. Out James here. is like, I'm going to give him a two. <laughs> he <laughs> was just having fun, one. Yeah. Mr. Lenient Hartnett. Always <laughs> no, no. He was just having fun. Truth, truth yeah. is, pr- pr- I'll go first. Okay. So if you don't mind, pr- prior to listening about him, I probably would have given him like a four or five because I didn't know anything about him other than like yeah. obviously it's it's all gross. But man, I think I'm up to a fucking 8.0. Whoa. I think I'm giving him an 8.0. I know he didn't. I mean, I, it's just so because yeah. it, I think he had such an impact on the culture too. So yeah. I'm giving him an 8.0. Who's going next? You know what? I literally thought eight. Oh my god, we're Before. often in sync. Yeah, we're close. Oh look, the evil uh lighting up and sort of um, <laughs> making a little noise, taking its clothes yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put those back on. Yeah. No, I genuinely like after you know reading a bunch of articles and watching a little doc and stuff. Uh, it's like it's 
it's like I said, I summarized it already. It's the most successful, disgustingly warped sex cult mm-hmm. in the history of the United States. He capitalized off of the post-war repression mm-hmm. and used the politics against women themselves. Right. Michael. I'm going to say, uh, from everything you've told us, Chris, um, awful stuff about Mr. Mr. Hugh, uh, I'm going to give him a 9.7. Wow. Oh, shit. Very and, high. And uh, on top of everything Don't you told us. Don't make us look bad. Yeah. No, no, you guys, you're free <laughs> to choose your own numbers. Uh, on top of everything you told us, I have a sneaking suspicion that Hugh Hefner also gave John Belushi the idea for the Killer Bees sketch. <laughs> <laughs> on SNL, okay. and so he's probably to blame for that. As That's well. really That's funny. So hopefully not the Blues Brothers as well. I sorry, let me take that again. I think uh, Hugh Hefner also gave John Belushi the idea for the Blues Brothers. <laughs> Two thousand <laughs> after he was dead. So yeah, bad guy, uh, and sad that he didn't uh, die young in a, uh, a painful way. Fair enough. Hot take. Well, thanks so much again for listening to an awesome episode of This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.